This afternoon, we are continue, continuing our study of Scripture's teaching on the important matter of our justification before God, as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In order to gain the context for Lord's Day 24, I'm just going to read question and answer 61 from Lord's Day 23. Why do you say that you are righteous only by faith? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, for only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God, whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned, it is a gift of grace." Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. There ends the reading of our confession. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are many impressive engineering feats in the world. One that I find particularly impressive are some of the long-spanning bridges uh, constructed in various places in the world. Take, for example, only the Confederation Bridge in Atlantic Canada. This bridge at nearly 13 kilometers long connects PEI to New Brunswick. I've never been on this bridge before, but I would Love to see it someday. Most of it stands 40 meters above the Northumberland Strait, which is part of the Atlantic Ocean. But think of all the, the time, the money, the engineering, and work it, it took to construct uh, such a bridge, making a bridge between such a long span. Other examples of long-spanning bridges include the Seven Mile Bridge in Florida, connecting two, to, two of the Florida Keys. There's also the Mackinac Bridge connecting Upper and Lower uh, Michigan. Sure, we could cite many more examples. But now, no matter how impressive these feats of engineering might be, there are some gaps that humans simply cannot build a bridge across. This afternoon, I'm not just speaking about physical gaps, such as between two islands or two mountains. I'm talking about the gap between sinful humans and Almighty God. That gap cannot be crossed by human strength, by human cunning, or by human work. We simply cannot do it. We cannot bridge the gap between sinful humans and holy and almighty God. Instead, we are helpless in ourselves, 
and we need someone else to do it for us. Well, the only person who can bridge the gap between sinful humans and God is our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he doesn't do this with any feat of engineering, but he does it through his perfect saving work. And that's what we're going to be looking at this afternoon as I preach God's word to you under the following theme. By Christ's saving work alone, we have crossed over from death to life. We're going to look at three things in connection with that theme. First of all, why we rely on Christ's Christ's saving work alone. Second, why this work of Christ changes us. And third, why rewards are not earned or merited. So first of all, why we rely on Christ's saving work alone. Now, in Lord's Day 23, we focused on the glorious truth of our justification before God. Justification is all about how sinners are declared righteous in God's sight. Question answer 60 describes it like this. How are you righteous before God? And the answer is only by true faith. Although my conscience accuses me that I've grievously sinned against all of God's commandments, I've not kept any of them and inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. The perfect righteousness of Christ given to us as a gift. And that's wonderful mercy from God. Sheer grace. We could never fulfill God's law on our own, but someone has done it for us and in our place. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the wonderful mercy of God for sinners. And this teaching is so wonderful. It's at the heart of our salvation, right? It takes the pressure off of us. We don't have to do it in order to gain life. Christ has done it for us. But because it's so wonderful, perhaps there are part of us that thinks, well, maybe it's too wonderful. Can it really be that simple? Is it only by believing in Jesus Christ that we have this righteous standing before God? What about the righteous things we do? Is that not important? Of course, that is very important. But still, we must affirm how our righteousness before God is only in Jesus Christ. We need this firmly in our minds. Our very salvation rests on our justification before God. And without a right understanding of our justification, how we're declared righteous before a holy God, our salvation would always be in doubt. That being the case, we need to deal with questions about this doctrine. We need to answer objections that arise uh, regarding what we learned in Lord's Day 23. And that's what Lord's Day 24 is all about. About answering the questions and maybe objections that arise regarding Scripture's teaching on our justification. And it begins with question and answer 62. But why can't our good works be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? The reason is this. Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. 
God demands perfection. He's going to count us righteous. And to help us see this, I would like to describe something that I refer to as uh, the grave test. Now, what do I mean by the grave test? Well, let me explain. You see, the grave, death, will show if someone is perfectly righteous in themselves or not. And why is that the case? It's because God's judgment on sinners is death. We, we learn that right at the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 2, God said to Adam, When you eat from that one tree, you shall surely die, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Romans 6, verse 23, likewise says, The wages of sin is death. So that's the standard that God has. If you sin, you die. And if you die as a sinner, the grave will never let you go. You can't escape it. And if our good works were part of our righteousness before God, then they need to survive or pass that grave test. So that's a question. Can our good works, can our righteousness overcome the grave? If it can, then yes, our good works can be our righteousness before God. However, if there's any hint of evil, if there's even one violation of God's law, any bit of defilement with sin, we would fail the test, we would not be able to escape the grave. So let's think about that now. Imagine you were to die, even today. Are you confident that your righteousness, that your law-keeping in your life would be enough to pull you through? Do you think your good works are going to enable you to escape death? Well, I hope you all know the answer to that question. And the answer is no. Your righteousness, your law-keeping, your good works are not enough to do it. And if I or you were to enter the grave relying on ourselves, we would know we're not going to make it. And this is why also humans have a natural fear of death. We know death has to do with punishment for sin. You can hear that in multiple places in Scripture as well. And so we know we all have sinned, and so we can't escape death on our own. Now, there is only one person who has truly passed the grave test. And that person, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of what we read in Acts chapter 2. Peter proclaimed to the crowd, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was put to death. But God raised him from the dead, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. It was impossible for the grave to keep holding on to Christ, holding Christ in its clutches. 
He's the righteous one. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for the sins of others. He entered the grave not because of his own sin. He had none. He entered the grave because he had made atonement for our sins. And because he did that, dying as the righteous one for the unrighteous, he did not stay dead but was raised to life again. It was impossible for death to keep its clutches on Christ. Basically, the resurrection was saying, this man does not belong in the grave. He's the righteous one. And so his resurrection proves that he is righteous. So the question for us now is, on what are you going to set your hope? What's going to give you confidence that you will pass God's judgment and also overcome the grave? Is it your own good works? In any way, is it your own obedience? Well, many in history have made that choice, but it did not go well, relying on themselves in any way. Listen to what the Lord Jesus told the Jews in John chapter 5. He said, Do not suppose that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have placed your hope. What did the Lord Jesus mean by that? Well, he didn't mean that they thought Moses died in their place and rose again. But they put their hopes in Moses, in the person who represented the law. Moses gave the law. God gave the law through Moses, and they, maybe they thought they could keep that law. Or maybe they believed Moses would intercede for them as he did for Israel. But either way, they missed the point. They missed the point that the scriptures were pointing them ahead to the coming one, our Lord Jesus Christ. And their hope should have been in Jesus Christ alone. And why is that? It's because the saving work of Jesus Christ alone is what allows us to pass the grave test. Listen to verse 24 of John 5, where it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So there it says, in Jesus Christ... Through his saving work, through believing in him, we have passed from death to life. We've crossed over from the side of judgment to the side of salvation. We have moved from the side of sin, death, and hell to the side of being counted righteous and being given eternal life. We've passed from death to life. That means our sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It also means that his perfect obedience, his righteousness, has likewise pulled us through death to life. And we have that now. In Christ Jesus, we are raised up to a new life, even now through faith, by being raised with our Lord Jesus Christ. His obedience has done it for us. Notice that it's based completely on the work and merits of Christ and nothing we have done 
Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Christ, Christ has given you the perfect righteousness you need to stand before God's throne. That's why the Lord Jesus exhorted the Jews in John chapter 5 later on. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And yes, that was good. That was true. But he says, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So we must make sure that we don't make that same mistake. We must search the scriptures. But they also point us to our Lord Jesus Christ so that we might believe in him and gain eternal life through his work. So come to him. Come to Christ. You will have life. In him you have passed from death to life. That brings us to our second point. So that's the first question answered. Why can our good works not be our righteousness righteousness before God or at least a part of it? It's because our good works aren't good enough to get us through the grave test. That brings us to the next question, and this is actually the last question and answer of Lord's Day 24 that we're going to be focusing on next in the sermon. There it says, but does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? You know, it's one of the most common objections to the doctrine of justification by faith where God counts us righteous in Christ completely as a gift, apart from anything we have done. And that's because if we're declared righteous before God by faith alone, through the work of Christ alone, why would we bother do good works? And if if Christ says in John 5, because of his work, we do not come into judgment, why not embrace sin? This is faulty reasoning. Answer 64 answers this objection in the following way. This teaching does not make people careless and wicked, and that's because it is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. See how answer 64 uses the image of being grafted into Christ. Think of what Jesus speaks about in John 15. He's the vine, and we are the branches. We are are grafted into our Lord Jesus Christ. That means we are united to him, joined to him. He lives in us, and we live in him. And being united to him, remaining in him, we will bear fruit. Christ's life will be manifest, will be shown, in our own lives, as we're changed by our Lord Jesus. But let's also consider this from another angle. Think again of Jesus' words from John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now again, what do those words mean? Well, that means, first of all, that we've passed through death, as we saw, through this work of Christ alone. Through faith in Christ, we've passed through the judgment of God. The judgment of God was taken care of on the cross, and we've been raised with Christ. 
And that gives us a new status before God, a righteous status. That's what our justification is all about. But we must not stop there either. There's even more here in these words from John 5. We have passed from death to life in Christ. And so not only have we been justified before God, but we also have been raised to new life. We have new spiritual life in Christ, by which we can now serve God again. You see, you don't get one gift without the other. This is what I call the the double benefit of Christ's death and resurrection. They come together. When a person is justified by faith in Christ, they are no longer under the judgment of God. Believers have been forever reconciled to God so that God is our Father. And that's what we have in Christ. But when a person is justified, they inevitably, unavoidably, simultaneously have new spiritual life. You don't get one gift without the other. Those who have been justified as a gift have also been made alive. They've been made new. And so we can live according to that new life, and we will. That's why it's impossible that the true teaching on justification makes someone careless in living for God or wicked. In fact, it's actually the opposite. Passing from death to life in Christ means that we have a new life. By that life, we will bring forth fruits of thankfulness. That's also why a faith without works is dead, as James 2 says. And so, it isn't true faith. You see, think of it in terms of physical terms. A person who is physically alive will live as a person who is physically alive. They will breathe, they will eat and drink, they'll walk around. In the same way, a person who is spiritually alive will live as a person who's spiritually alive. And if we don't have any deeds in keeping with our new spiritual life, it means we haven't actually passed from death to life in Christ. And that's why James 2 says that such a faith cannot save a person. But the thing we must always remember is this is that this doesn't mean our good works bring us from death to life. No, Christ's work alone does that. Having been brought from death to life in Christ, we will be changed. You will be changed. Simply impossible that the believer would not produce fruit. That brings us to our last point. So those are the first two objections uh, to justification through faith alone uh, answered. There's now the third one. This one is found in question and answer 63. It says, but do our good works are nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This is a, a great question. And the first thing we must point out is that God certainly does reward good works. There's simply no denying that. 
There's numerous examples of this in Scripture. I'll give you one. Consider only Exodus 1. Pharaoh commanded that all the Israelite baby boys would be thrown into the Nile River. The Hebrew midwives refused to do this. They even risked their lives for this. In response to their act of faith, Exodus 1 says, So God dealt well with the midwives. Because they feared God, he gave them their own families. Clear example of God giving rewards. Now, obviously, these women please God by their act of faith. But can we say that our good works are nothing then? Doesn't this mean they can pass God's judgment? However, here's where we must maintain the impossibility of merit on the part of humans, of earning rewards. Yes, the Lord rewarded the midwives for their obedience to him. It does not mean the reward was earned or merited. You see, in order for a work to merit something, it must be done completely by the person doing it without any outside help. Think of it this way. If a student receives help all through his or her math test and gets an A on the test, a student cannot say that he or she merited the A. That's because the student didn't do it all on his or her own. It's the same thing with our good works. We can only do good works because God is working in us to will, to work according to his good pleasure. So the good works we do have their root in God. They are done in and through Jesus Christ and his power at work in us. And they are empowered by the Holy Spirit who who also works them in us. And without God working in us in this way, we would never do them in the first place. And so we cannot say that our works merit or earn us a reward. But it's by God's grace that he crowns his own gifts. And furthermore, because they are stained with sin... They are only acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As the Westminster Confession of Faith says, our Father is pleased to accept and reward what we do because he looks upon them in his Son. It's good for us to keep this in mind. You know, it's so damaging if we live with that belief that our works earn or merit something with God. It's so damaging because we will so easily slip into a a works-based relationship with our Heavenly Father, with our God. And this will only suck the joy of our relationship with our Father. And not only that, if we live with this belief that our works merit something, we might even get frustrated or, or even angry with the Lord. Why isn't God rewarding me the same way as that person? Am I living worse life than they are? Why am I going through these problems when I'm trying to serve the Lord and that person doesn't have that problem? Do I just need to try harder to get the reward I want? See how damaging that can be? It can damage your relationship to God because you may believe he's treating you unfairly. 
can also damage your relationship with your fellow Christians who may seem to be rewarded with something that you want. No, beloved, let us be full of love and good deeds. Let's not worry so much about the rewards. God will give them in his good time. Let us instead focus on us living for the Lord. He may reward our good works in this life. He may not. That's up to him. Yes, in eternal life, he will reward them. He will reward us for our work done in faith, and he will do it perfectly at that time. But while we are here, let's make it our aim to please our Heavenly Father, who's been so gracious to us. Let's work for his praise, having received such great grace in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing hymn 72, all of the stanzas.